Invisible Soldiers podcast. Welcome to the Invisible Soldiers podcast. I'm Rebecca. I'm Corey. And we're slowly becoming your go-to spot for Black stories and advertising. Today's episode is all about surviving advertising, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Getting the work done while making sure you take good care of yourself. Yes. Yeah, welcome in, welcome in. What you been up, taking bro? care of yourself? It's so funny that you say that. Yes, actually. I've actually kind of doubled down on making sure I take the time now, you know? Yeah. I've been traveling a little bit and worried about COVID because it's back. Yes. Know? And then I, I went out to Vegas weeks ago. I came back coughing. I caught something. <laughs> yeah, it's out here. It's out here. I was sick a few weeks ago and I just keep hearing people either whether they're coming from shoots or vacation, but usually it's like when they get back in, somebody caught something for sure. Yeah, I, I don't think I had COVID, but um, see, our, the allergies have been really bad. Air quality here has been awful. I suffer from hay fever and all of that stuff. So, Gotta love Texas. Love Texas. <laughs> you gotta love Texas, man. <laughs> but in that, you know, in your week... Last week, we we're, you know, connecting on a Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but it has been very busy as we've been going into Q4. Sure. I've got most of my creatives are out and about shooting and I've got people working deep in their Q4 plans. And it's just kind of a, a bit of a grueling time. I've had a lot of people come to me to my virtual office to just talk about how to manage their time as well as their home life. You know, there's lots of talk about having to return to the office so what that would do to their routines. But would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, whether it's managing your time, but just kind of the the rigor in our industry and, you know, your, your thoughts and perspective. Advertising is a grueling industry. I think it's grueling because it's project-based for the most part. And when something is project-based, you work until you perfect the project. It's not about nine to five. It's not about, well, I got to do this thing. Like you literally work until like every day you go in and you crank, 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 and you just keep chipping away at this project. And that project could be six weeks. It could be three or four months. It could be six months, but that's a lot of time to put into something. And I just think that as things heat up, there's this opportunity to start to let things like physical health go. Usually when you run out of time, you don't eat as well. You start grabbing what's ever around you. Also, as you start working a little bit more later nights, you don't sleep as well because you're just constantly thinking about things. I get into this mode sometimes where I'm working in my head. There are deadlines, there are expectations. There's job performance anxiety about, am I doing well enough? Am I not doing it well enough? thinking about your team, thinking about all of these things, I think it can create a lot of stress that if you aren't paying attention to, can slowly start to snowball against you. And maybe come out in behaviors at work. The tried and true caricature of an executive creative director, a chief creative <laughs> officer is, you know, work being terrible, being ripped off the walls, thrown in trash cans and a chair being thrown across the room and, you know, and I'm not being hyperbolic. Like that's no, actually you, a story. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. Yeah. Okay. So as creatives, we live in a world where we are constantly under critique. That takes a toll on you. Like when 90% of the time somebody thinks you're wrong, whether it's your direct boss, whether it's somebody on the account team, whether it's the client, whoever it is, your partner sometimes. 
that constant nothing's right. Mm. I'm never good enough. Like always trying to please people, always trying to make people happy. Once again, it's something that over a period of time takes a toll. And I think first thing that goes is the physical part, right? The physical health starts to slip a little bit. And then it begins to ease its way into the mental health, right? I've seen it so many times, like the changes that people go through, whether it's emotion, whether it's gaining 40 pounds, losing 10, gaining 30 more. People who don't smoke becoming chain smokers overnight. Seeing people dealing with drug issues, seeing people start to drink a lot more. We talked about this, right? There was definitely a period in, in my young career where surrounded by all young people, none of us quite at a place where we had kind of broken through. Everybody's feeling like they aren't being paid enough, working too much. Yes. So what do we do? We go out to go the to bar. The bar. <laughs> <laughs> go to the limelight. Let's go, let's go to the bar and forget about all of this, you know? And then you start repeating it you know, multiple times a week and you look up, it's like, wait, what's happening? What's happening to me? The other perk when times are good, but it can be bad when times are bad is when you're in advertising, people are always offering you free food, free drinks, free something, right? Yeah. And you got to be careful of the free whatever. That can create problems for sure. Yeah. And the traveling and, uh, you know, I, I never, I mean, that's a huge aha, to be honest with you, because I mean, I lived on the account side for a while and then moving into HR and recruiting, I forgot about or even considered what it must feel like as a creative to constantly being critiqued. And every, every conversation is a critique about your output. How do you thinking about like you early on first copywriter job to now, mm-hmm. you know, at some of the most senior level, how do you manage that feedback and take what you need to be able to move the work and throw away the rest and not make it feel about yourself? Like, how do you manage that? For me, and this is going to sound totally counterintuitive, but for me, the thing that clicked is I realized that this is a job you live. This isn't a job that you go to and work nine to five and then you come home it's a job you live. And the minute that clicked in for me, I relaxed because now when I got an email at eight o'clock at night with somebody wanting a response, I wasn't huffing and puffing. I was like, this is the job. When I got a text message on the weekend saying, need you to come in, I wasn't throwing shoes across the room. I was just like, eh, it's part of the job, right? When an idea I've been working on for four months suddenly dies, maybe as I'm about to get on the plane, I'm not freaking out because I've already accepted this is part of the job. So for me, that was the big light bulb moment is just to accept I'm working abnormal hours. Things aren't going to go right a lot of the time and to just kind of accept it and adjust. And that's kind of been the thing I live by now. I just accept and adjust. Accept and adjust and maybe balance your time. It's so brilliant because the other challenge that I'm seeing is in the junior level staff, whether I'm hiring entry level or like two or three years in, they all have an expectation that the work should bend to them. Like, I don't know if you watch like 
I'm not a TikTok user, but my daughter is. So, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes she'll send me funny things, but like there's a whole thread around this idea of a soft life or right and like to your very point I just accept that I'm going to get an email at eight o'clock at night and that's just the job right I'm trying to figure out how to explain to them that yes this is the industry like we used to stay so late and pizza was fine like I saw a meme the other day that it was like work 60 hours and management only gives you pizza and I remember being really hyped <laughs> <laughs> pizza because sometimes they did not feed you if you had to stay late like how do we translate this is it so i was watching this interview by uh barack obama he gave this answer that i thought was like really kind of brilliantly sums up the new generation and basically he was talking about the fact that there was a time as gen xers where we just didn't have access to everything It was hard to be really, really mad at rich people because you didn't really know what they lived like. You didn't know that they rode private plane. You didn't really think about this stuff, right? Like, you know, there was like Robin Leach lifestyles of the rich and famous, but you had these ideas in your head, but you didn't really know what rich people ate. You didn't know what they drove. I mean, maybe what they drove, but you didn't know where they live. You didn't know what kind of suits they wore. You didn't know all of these things, right? True. In 2023, you know what everybody's doing. And so in that world, what's right in front of you is never good enough. You're always comparing it to the best thing in the world, right? And I think that's the problem. When we were working, pizza? For real? Free? (laughs) I don't have to go home and eat Funyuns and drink a 40 tonight? Like, word? Okay. Yeah. So I think we're way more appreciative of just being in the space. And, you know, I think people who hired us knew that's where we were coming from. So, yes, we could be controlled by pizza to stay later, to come in earlier. Now, those same things don't translate because the world is different. People have seen all the other incarnations of how people are being treated, how well they're doing, how the facade of how easy it is. Yes. And so now when it's not easy and it's real and it doesn't look like a TikTok, distinguishing between real life and social media has made life very impossible for these kids. Uh, I really hope that that's impossible. It feels impossible because I don't like I'm just even trying to figure out like how to even get around that. Like the more you know about how great something is for somebody else or perceive it to be. Yes the worse your life is going to seem, right? And we just didn't have that, right? I remember there was a moment at a place I worked once, and it's really called, this, this, it just showed you, like, because the temperature changed in the department in one day. There was some printout that somebody had done, probably, I don't know who, who did this, but probably getting ready for some evaluation. And there was a printout that had everybody's salary. Yikes! And I didn't see it myself, but a few people saw it for got ripped up and thrown away. And the information started sharing, right? Started spreading around. So in an apartment, that disparity can be huge, right? Yes. You know, and I think where it really kicks in is when you have these people who are your lower wage workers who are bringing really, really fresh ideas because they're younger, they're working a lot of hours, and they aren't making a lot of money. Yeah. In that ecosystem, 
you need a few of those people to kind of even out the salary structure. It's just how business works, right? But when those people find out how much the people who are at the top end, whose ideas don't seem as fresh, as tuned in, how much they're making, when you get to the point where it's not like just the kids who are fresh in from college, but the people who have been around a while who have had enough reps to actually start to become good and valuable. Yes. And they find out how much people who seem maybe longer than two they're making and they think they're better. The resentment that kicks in, oof, that can be dangerous. It is dangerous. It's also like in my world, especially last year, too, because the laws changed. So now you have to show a range in your job posting. Right. Yeah. So when we started doing that and that was just 12 months ago, then you started hearing internally, like, you know, if I'm looking for an art director, I'll put a range. The range factors in quite a few different data points. So obviously what I'm currently paying somebody internally, it might include a salary range that we'll pull from like the forays, which is like a trusted source that most advertising professionals utilize in a number of ways. I'll pull market data. I'll take a look at what other agencies are paying. But it's a pretty wide range. But what I'm also noticing is that like from an entry level or maybe two or three years of experience, young creative talent, strategic talent, I would even say like on the account side, they've got such a, they are so very, at least how it feels, very secure and very confident when they're coming in. And so it's almost like when they get there, their expectation is, well, I've got all these fresh, cool ideas. I've been on social media forever. I can make your brand do all types of things. I think I'm more forward thinking than that group creative director that you have. I think you should pay me. I don't know. Like I've had babies ask me for over $100,000 and inflation is high, but like they're, I mean, I came in this industry making like $19,000 a year, but yes, I recognize that was well over 20 years ago, but I never came in thinking that I was ready to lead. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. I would love to hear your perspective on like in all of that coming in youthfully, but knowing what it really takes to lead a team, lead a brand, manage clients, like what, in addition to being a great creative, what are the other things that you're doing that they don't have yet and that they should put some years in? What's the gap that they're missing if they're not seeing what you're doing behind the scenes beyond just coming up with a great idea? Well, first of all, let's just start with the fact that when we came in, advertising seemed like the biggest show in town. Whenever I told people what I did, they stopped. They're like, really? Wow. You know, you're in advertising. Wow. Like it was like that, right? Now with, you know, social media, the best creative minds often never make it to our industry anymore because they have 5 million followers and they have turned social media into an income stream. Okay. So like the best young people who are doing this stuff will never enter our industry. They won't because they've already figured out that they can create on a high level and get paid for it. Right. So I would say maybe we don't, we no longer get the top, top, people anymore because those people are monetizing their ideas on their own. So the people we do get, the people who still have love for this industry and want to create and work, love advertising and want to do this stuff, they're coming in with the knowledge of what maybe their peers from other industries are making or entrepreneurs are making. So 
they're already coming in. Once again, access to <laughs> all this information is changing their expectations. You know, I, I just wanted to get good. I wanted to be able to, I knew when I came in as a writer, I wanted to know how to, okay, I know how to write a TV commercial. Can I write a campaign? Okay, cool. I know how to do a radio spot. Can I do all of this print work? I know how to do all this print work. What about out of home, experiential? Like you're always trying to sharpen your skills, you know, so you could do all of it. And now I think people want to fast track it. I mean, I saw people even back in my time fast track it, you know, building a great relationship with the boss and kind of going around the normal channels. And I've seen that happen. People going around their creative director and going, hanging out in the CCO's office. And next thing you know, oh, Jeb's a millionaire, you know. (laughs) (laughs) The respect from the peers is, is not there. You can shortcut a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, you want to be able to do it all because you're going to need all those skills at some point. You can take shortcuts up, but eventually you're going to end up in a situation where you're not well-rounded enough to handle what's in front of you. Mm. And at that point, the stakes will be high and the crashes are going to be really tough when you don't have all the skills. So. My advice is it's better to slow down, figure it out and get all the skills you need, because when you get put in the hot seat and it's really, really on you, you want to have a wealth of experiences and skills to pull from. How do you think leadership or some of the pressures, even maybe even as an entry level person having to deliver, how does that affect your mental health? It's tough. I like to say that, like, especially creatives. I think creatives have a little bit of a lottery kind of idea. It's like a lottery ticket kind of perspective. And what I mean by that is every creative wants something out of the industry, more responsibility, a bigger job title, more money, corner office, whatever. I want to get office, whatever that thing is that they want. Every time there's a project, that project becomes their lotto ticket, right? And so the more they invest, it's like watching the lottery numbers come up. You're like, oh, I got the first number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got the second number, you know? You go into client meetings. This thing is moving forward. You're really like, oh, if this one goes through, I might win that award. I might get that thing, you know? And this is every creative that's ever lived has had all of these thoughts, right? And then you get to a certain point and something happens in that chain where that thing you invested in, it dies. Either it dies or it lives, but it's not what you wanted it to be. It had to change. It make it through all the comments and it's no longer the idea you're proud of, or it's no longer the idea that you thought was award worthy or dag, this ain't going to be the one that gets me all the respect in the world or gets me that next promotion. And when that moment happened, that realization of, I just put all of that into this to just be another project. That's where your mental health gets tested because it's the the hard work, it's the anticipation of something big happening, and then it's the disappointment. And then guess what? Here comes the next project. You got to do it all over again. And all again, over. and again, and again, and again, right? So what happens to a lot of people is they get burnt. They get burnt out. They care up to a point where I always say, it's always uh, 
not good to be like a white hot flame because white hot flame is not sustainable. Right. You know, that eternal flame is kind of like blue with a little bit of orange in it. You know, it's like a low simmering <laughs> heat. And that's really what you're trying to keep in your belly is a low simmering heat, high standards. You want it to be good, but you're never so hot that if it all goes away, that you're devastated. You never want to work yourself up to that level about anything, not any project. So those are the things that happen. But like I can tell you as a young creative, oh, you're going home and you are mad. Mad, he said. Mad, like pouting, like things dying on like a Friday. You're supposed to have a director's call and it's like, oh, the client decided not to do that. What? I thought this was my one. You go through a few of those and then you start to learn how to deal with it better. It's just too heavy. It's too much. People have nervous breakdowns in, in, in our business. That's real. That's like so real. I, but, you know, before we started recording, I was telling you that in my world, again, we are starting to see a bit of an uptick in people requesting leaves of absences, which is different than just taking like a mental health day here or there. Like you're talking about your salary being paused for a bit and then having to tap into hopefully a benefit that you elected earlier in the year that would cover your missing dollars. But people are taking time off because what they're saying is that they are burnt out. They don't have the mental space. And then you start seeing it in their performance. And, you know, in this day and age, every agency, every industry, to be honest with you, it's so imperative that each person can do their jobs at the best of their ability. You know, clients want things faster. They change their minds. People are frustrated. Conflicts are happening. You know, we don't see people as often in person. So you can kind of be a jerk online. I do worry about the amount of work that people are doing and the fact that the job is, you know, just kind of a part of your your life and not knowing that that's what you've signed up for. And to, you know, what you said earlier about, you know, being mad that that email comes in at eight o'clock and then they come to me and I'm like, well, I can't change the workflow. Like that, that's just kind of how the, the workflow has always been that way. But, you know, yeah. we used to be in all building, you know, beholden to a desk. But it seems like there is more of a expectation for everyone to have better boundaries, which I think we do require that and not taking advantage of, you know, pinging you on your vacation or things like that. What are your thoughts on boundaries and how do you manage that day-to-day that can take you to a breakdown? Like, how do we do it in yeah. this modern day? I think number one is you don't want to hit the rock bottom place. That's what you want to avoid, right? You have to sit in a system of guidelines that work for you. Once you know that, like, okay, I'm working some hours, crazy hours, you still have to go, but I need to exercise every day. I need to exercise as a way of meditation. I need to exercise as a way to move my body, as a way to just free my mind and escape a little bit. That might mean waking up a little earlier. The best thing I, I discovered, I, I ran track in college. But because I ran track in college, there was a period of time when the last thing I wanted to do was exercise. I felt like I died <laughs> given everything, right? So I was like, I don't want to do nothing. But as you get older, you realize like, oh, yeah, no, I need to do something every day for mental and physical health. So my routine, I get up early and I try to get in 12,000 steps, a little over five miles, just out walking, jogging, 
walk in, whatever, right? Got to do it every day. It frees the mind. It keeps the body moving. I look forward to it. It's a time to listen to podcasts. It's a time to just zone out. It's a one time when my brain is totally turned off. I'm not thinking about the assignments. I'm not thinking about anything else but me. That's something I would say everybody needs to put in place, some way to just move your body. Then I think you need to start thinking about who am I talking to? (laughs) Because I know a lot of us spend so much time with our voice in our head. There's no other voice in there to kind of like balance things out. And the thing about this weird about your voice in your head, that voice sometimes can be a cheerleader. It can blow your head up, like think, make you have you thinking you're the greatest thing in the world, or it can be the biggest hater. The voice in your head is the one that's just telling you not good enough. You just, it's always keeping you off balance. And I think when that voice is constantly erratic or a little too heavy on one side, I think you're headed towards some mental health situations, right? The other thing is I've been able to figure out what the litmus test is for when I know I'm getting stressed, right? So I really like to keep a clean closet, right? My, my closet looks kind of military. Um, <laughs> all the hangers are aimed in the same direction. All the, like all the shirts are with the shirts. They all are aiming the same direction, all of that stuff, right? But when I'm stressed, when I'm out of kilter, if you will, I look at my closet and I'm like, oh, I'm stressed out because my closet is junky. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like my closet is no longer neat. Like I'm like, for me, I figured that out. Like there's a correlation between me being scrambled in the brain and out of sync in my closet because then I just start throwing stuff in. I don't take the time to put it where it needs to go. And it becomes very reflective of where my emotions are, right? I'm scattered too. Yes. I'm all over the place too. And whenever I see that, I go, ooh, okay, I know. It's time to chill out. I need to talk to somebody or something. Sleeping is important. Come on. You can't put in all this time at work and then think you're just going to stay up and watch movies to three in the morning, get three or four hours of sleep and do it all again and think you're going to be okay. No. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just go to bed like crazy early. Nothing is better to me than like going to bed at 930. I know, like, I know. And it's so crazy because like you think about even like the TV show Mad Men, you know, I mean, that was decades and decades ago, but it was a pretty, I believe it was a pretty accurate depiction of an all white male industry, but you know, it's where it started. But the staying out late, going to drinks with your clients, you know, being asleep someplace where you weren't supposed to be, like all of those things were very prevalent. I'm not sure how it is today, but just thinking about the younger folks who do seem to be leaning far more into self care, self love, and being yes, kind of aware they are. Of now they, yeah. I think for us, because we've seen it the other way, I'm all about self care. Yes. I'm also all about hard work. There's a middle place in there somewhere. I think we're still trying to define what the new regular, what the new norm is, right? I think we're searching for it because I think the industry is still filled with people who are thinking about their era. Yes. And and they're looking at this era and they're going like, but wait, this is not how it ever was for anybody. So is this the new correction or have we overcorrected? need to pull it back. I love to listen to young people. I love to hear their perspective because I do think it's important for us to listen yes. and to not think we know. Because usually 
it's easier to hold on to the old toxic ways than it is to let go of them and try to recalculate to something that is new and progressive, right? It's always the tougher move. So I'm always reminding myself, don't get stuck talking about back in my day, we did it like this. No, like there's always a better, more efficient way to do anything. And I'm with that. Well, and I think the change like in the world too, is that I can own myself now. It's okay to take PTO. Like there used to be, at least for me anyway, like just such a guilt around having to take time off or absolutely you know, scheduling appointments or doing any of the things that would make sure that I would, again, show up the next day. There used to be such a value in kind of being a martyr or somebody said in my agency it was brilliant, but there used to be a lot of currency and chaos. So like the busier you were, the crazier it was you seem to be more valuable. But I find that there's far more value in being just operationally excellent. So even if it is crazy with the client, at least our team isn't moving that way. You know, you, you know, I've staffed it appropriately. I'm making sure I'm checking in, like just doing better things. Again, that, like that's even from retaining talent because that's what they're asking me. They're like, what's work-life balance mean? And, you know, back in the day we would laugh. Ha, 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 ha. That's not a thing. But now I have to actually solve it so that I can get the best talent. Like I can't ask people to work 80 hours every week. Like we understand, you know, at the height of it and crazy, you know, we're going to ask that of you, but it also has to be okay for you to take a trip and to see the world. And these kids are out here seeing the world. Yeah, no, it's true. One of the things I do like about the remote work is that we have gotten away from all these like perceptions of working hard. Yes. If you walk through a creative department and you see somebody with this junkie desk, the perception is like, wow, that guy's really working. Right. Chaos. Like, right. And then you see somebody like, I always kept a really clean office. Right. And so somebody probably walked past my office is like, this dude ain't doing shit. Like, you know what I mean? But all of that dumb stuff is out the window now. Out the window. You can see it. You can feel it. You can monitor it. I feel like a little better actually than, you know, looking in somebody's office to see if the light is on at such and such time and all of that dumb stuff that we did. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be interesting to see because, you know, everybody's putting their flag, you know, they're planning their flag and how they're going to return to office. The big major holding companies, which, you know, again, a lot of it is steeped in real estate, but I have no idea how it's going to turn out. Like they keep saying things like, you know, it fosters collaboration and you know, they're trying to get their culture back. That's the narrative coming from the top. But it's not what I'm hearing from the people. They do not have a mm -hmm. desire to do that. People want to be together, but it has to be very intentional. I also hear like on the creative side, the day-to-day -day work, you know, just kind of, you know, getting the things out the door, much better remote. If we get together, we're on a shoot or we're here or we're there. But they are together all the time, whether it's digitally or whether or virtually or whether it's in person. Not to put you on the spot, but I'd love to hear your point of view on creative collaboration and the perceived we got to go back to the office. Well, when we were in the office, we were always trying to get out of the office to go create. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just a, it's just the truth. Two creatives get together. They go, hey, let's go somewhere out of here and hang out and work. And depending on, you know, your culture, your bosses, you know, some people believe in asses and seats. That's just how it was. So. I think what we've proven is we've proven that technology actually works. We've proven that people can communicate. We've proven that we've hired adults who understand schedules and deadlines 
and don't need to be micromanaged to get the work done. I think that's what the post-COVID life has proven. And because we've proven it, it's hard to foresee going back to a different way. Like there was a time when as a creatives for production, we would go out on a production early. We would be with the director for tech scouts. We'd be out for all of the casting. We'd be out there, you know, a couple of weeks before we shot, right? Sometimes. And now we don't even go out to casting to see people most of the time anymore because we do it all through streaming our videos. And why? Because we've proven we could do it during COVID. We proved that we could do whole shoots without being at the shoot, right? So after you do it, I think every time you prove something, it makes it harder to go. We can't do that. Now, I'm not saying it was optimal, you know, especially for if you're doing TV with dialogue and like a lot of the stuff that you need to, you want to be there to have those conversations, to be able to pivot real quickly. But once again, when we had to make it happen, we made it happen. And I think it's the same with this. You know, we've shown that we have the technology to continue working without being in the same rooms together. So it's kind of hard to say, oh, we all got to be back in this box to work. We've already proven we, we don't have to be. I don't know where it's headed. But more importantly, everybody out there, take care of yourself. No matter the industry, no matter how hard you're working, don't be afraid to talk to people, professional people. Don't be able to, afraid to talk to friends. And there's so many services even talking about, you know, being in this virtual world. People are looking for, you know, even in the HR space, we, you know, we always are giving recommendations. BetterHelp is an awesome online place where you can get a counselor, whether it's for you, your, you know, your spouse, you know, to your point, Corey, who are you talking to? it's just the voice in your head, you know, you might want to, you know, lean in or reach out, you know, to make sure that you are being able to deal with all the things that are happening. There's just so much happening right now. Mentorship too. Find mentors, find mentors. Mentors, mentors. And then, you know, I mean, we talk a little bit about, you know, spiritual and religion and, you know, the universe and that's different for everyone. But, you know, I, again, places where I tap in, you know, to keep myself grounded and also find, finding like-minded people that are, who are spiritual and religious has also been really helpful for, for me in my career too. Absolutely. For sure. I think we covered it all. Anything else from you? No, we just live another day. We're going to go day. into another week of production and advertising. <laughs> it's all, look, this thing is about survival. It's all about surviving by hook or crook. So anyway, Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Invisible Soldiers podcast. Continue to support us wherever you listen to podcasts. Peace. Peace.